Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products that what? That customers love. You've heard it before, product managers need empathy. One way we talk about empathy in our role is walking in the customer's shoes, meaning that we understand the customer, the problem they need solved, or the job they want done. Indeed, product managers that use empathy wisely, wow, they're more likely to gain customer insights that others can miss. And what does this do? This leads to products that create more value than competitors and products that customers love. It supercharges the work that product managers do. So clearly, this is kind of important, this empathy thing. But not all product managers have gained the skill yet, or they're uncomfortable with it, or they're not using it correctly. Our guest, Rob Volpe, will help us use empathy better. He is the CEO of Ignite360, a consumer insight firm and a self-proclaimed empathy activist. He loves talking about this. He uses his years of experience in marketing research and promotions to help organizations launch and position better products. And he's done this for a number of places, including Kraft Foods, Wild Planet Toys, Pepsi, Sprint, Target, Pinkberry, and many others. Now, remember, if you hear anything you want to go back to, like the detailed steps that Rob's going to share for how we can use empathy better, you'll find all of those details in the show notes that we take for you, the notes of everything we discuss. That is at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 312, including a one-page PDF for you to help you put these concepts into action now. Go check it out, theeverydayinnovator.com slash 312. Now, let's get better at using empathy. Rob, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thank you, Chad. It's great to be here. So when we connected, it was over a topic that is dear to my heart that, frankly, uh, I knew little about just as a term for a long time, but it's about empathy. And uh, it's dear to my heart because I have a very strong customer focus when it comes to developing products that we need to create value for our customers. And to make that happen, we kind of need to understand them and the problems that they're encountering. So I think a good place to start would be just to if you could help ground us, what does empathy mean and why is it important to product managers? Awesome starting question. So empathy at its most basic is the ability to see the point of view as a the ability to see the point of view of another person as them. Hmm. So taking on being able to meet anybody in your day-to-day life, hearing their story and being able to see the world the way that they see them. That's important for the product managers because if you're creating a product for your customer, whether you're, you're maintaining an existing product or you're trying to create something new, you really need to understand the people that are actually going to either buy your product or are currently using your product. You need to understand how they're viewing the world so that you can get to the role that your product might play in their life, mm-hmm. uh, the problem that it's going to solve, the job that it's satisfying and that your customer is hiring it for. Yeah, that's really good. The, you know, how they view the world is, is I think, how I, I often think about this. Lately, I've been thinking a little bit more in terms of like emotional resonance, that you're really kind of understanding their perspective. It doesn't mean you have to agree with their perspective, right? Absolutely. But you're understanding what it is. So then as product managers, we can better develop solutions for them. 
Yeah, there's there are a lot of things that I've found over the years people are afraid of when it comes to empathy. I mean, and the way I, I describe it is like it's an e-word like emotion, and that makes some people uncomfortable, and they won't drop. You know, that people are afraid of their emotions or don't feel they can connect into them, or even question if they have space in the, in the workplace. What I tell people though is there's different types of empathy and the type of empathy that's relevant for innovation for product management work is cognitive empathy and that's about being able to see that point of view it's not about feeling the feels as the other person is feeling them it really is about hey i can i can see where you're coming from i get your 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 perspective on it and that leads to understanding so that you can solve. It stays up more in the head and enables a, a greater ability to either find a common ground or, or jump in. But yeah, there's always that, oh my God, I don't want to sacrifice my beliefs. So it's like, it has nothing to do with that. It's just making room uh, for somebody else's ideas and saying, hey, there's another way of, of looking at the world. And let's let's check that out and see where that takes us. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean that you are changing your beliefs or changing your perspective, but you're deeply understanding them. And I appreciate you know that this E word and you're helping us to ease into this a little bit, that this is more about cognitive empathy. But I do push product managers often to try to relate emotionally with the actual problem. And I will say things like, you know, I want you to feel their problem in your gut. I want you to to understand why this is a problem for them. And it's not just some intellectual curiosity they're having. This is an actual problem impacting their life. And I do want people to try to feel that more. I, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, anytime you're having an interaction with a human being, you are connect, you hopefully are connecting with them, at least on a cognitive space, but it does have an emotional component. If you think about affective empathy, Affective empathy takes you to a place of, you know, the way I, I describe it when I'm lecturing on the topic, it's, you know, you're sitting on the, the couch with your girlfriend having a cry over whatever event has happened or with your boyfriend, you know, having a cry about something where you're really feeling that emotion in in product development and in, in the business space that can lead some people into difficulty. It, it's a little harder for some folks to control it. That actually has nothing in my mind to do with your intuition and your gut. I think mm. cognitive empathy is about, okay, I understand this perspective. You're still having an emotional connection to somebody. If you sit and listen to a, an individual share their story and you connect with it and you're able to see their point of view, there is emotion that's, that's there, whether you realize it or not. Mm. But it, it's, it's, you know, I pointed to my head earlier when I was talking about cognitive empathy. It really is more of a heart center type of thing. It's just kind of the depth of it. So if, if you think about like how deep are we going to go, cognitive empathy is definitely below the surface. And then affective empathy is particularly below the surface. What we feel the, the trick is, is to marry up cognitive empathy. So that's still in the heart with the data, the things that you just know, and that's all up in your head. So it's a combination of the head and the heart. And that can create conviction, and that can lead to dedication to, to a purpose and a cause and you know, solving a problem. Mm -hmm. And actually, it, it's when a, a junior or anybody goes and talks to a senior leader and needs to give the big presentation, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to spend $50 million and capital to make this happen. 
if that conviction is there, you can see it in somebody's eyes because, you know, it's about belief. I mean, that's what conviction ultimately mm-hmm. is, believing in something. And it's through empathy that you can get to conviction and belief. Without it, you've just got data. Uh, it's just numbers. Okay. Thanks for the foundation of empathy and, and kind of why that is important to product managers. And you have a system to help us really uh, apply this, right? You call it the Ignite 360 and it's five steps to empathy. And I'll, I'll share why I think this is particularly important for us. There are times when I've been with um, my customer and we're trying to engage a customer, right? Their customer and understand more deeply about a problem they're having. And the person, the product manager I'm helping, well, this has happened, at some point might say to their customer, like, oh, no, you don't understand how this really works, which just irks me to no end, right? (laughs) This is the exact opposite of what we're trying to accomplish, is more deeply understand the problem the customer's faced with. And it it wasn't that long ago that I recognized I'm actually not exhibiting empathy in that moment, for the person I'm working with, right? It's like, wow, you know, I should better, I should be a little more understanding to their perspective now too. And I probably fail to set this up as well as I should have with them. But I share that because the point is we do need to interact with our customers differently. And I think these five steps will help us. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it sounds like in the, the scenario you were just sharing, there was empathetic failure kind of all around on multiple yep. <laughs> uh, points in the journey. And the five steps to empathy came about because we were seeing similar things in our own work. And, you know, it, it empathy is also a word that everybody is saying, like, yeah, we've got to have empathy. We need to go get empathy. And I, I you know, would kind of jokingly say, you know, we'd, we would get requests from clients and it was the got to go get me some empathy and check that box. And, you know, it's like, okay, great. We can put together a really awesome program and journey for you. But what was missing, we noticed, was the way it wouldn't stick with everybody on the client side that was participating in the journey where there were some gaps. And so that led to the, hmm, we need to tell people how to actually get to empathy. You know, empathy is something that everybody is born with. It is a human trait. We're one of the few species on the planet that has the ability to have empathy. However, empathy has been in decline. And so, you know, it's like a muscle that's atrophied. You need to exercise it and and focus it. But if you were to say, hey, you know, lift your right arm, how do you do that? What is actually going on there, especially if that muscle is atrophied? So I stepped back and said, all right, what does it actually take to get to empathy? And what are the things that get in the way? And that's where the five steps ultimately came from. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. But I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. 
This is the system created by Chad based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. The very first step, and this is the biggest barrier for people, is dismantling judgment. Lots of judgment gets in everybody's way. Second step is asking good questions. The third step is actively listening. And that's not just listening with your ears. And I'll, I'll tell you more about that. The next step is integrating into understanding. So that was what we were talking about of how do you hold somebody else's belief in, in your head alongside your own? Does it mean I have to sacrifice my own? And finally, the, the fifth step is using solution imagination. And so that is the act of, of putting on somebody else's shoes and walking a mile in, in their shoes as them. And that is then getting you to empathy. Okay. I like the list, right? So five good steps there. Some of those particularly resonated with me probably because of conversations that we're all having now with others. As you go through each of those to unravel them a little bit, if you can give us some examples, that would be great. Sure. Absolutely. All right. So starting at the top, dismantling judgment. What is judgment? Judgment is made up of our own biases, our experiences, the stereotypes. It's the, the, the lived experiences that we bring with us. And when we talk about judgment, you know, it's not the don't go down this dark alley sort of judgment, hair on the back of your neck, stand up. It's really a passing judgment, being judgmental. You know, I think we all know people that, that fall into that. The uh, mother character that Michelle Yao played in Crazy Rich Asians is an example. She was highly judgmental of her future daughter-in-law and others around her. That's, you know, it's casting aspersion. That's not... That, that's the thing that we need to try to, to break away from. And dismantling judgment, you know, it, it, it's like a brick wall. It's something you keep running into if you're not aware that you have it. And, and so you need to, to get over it. And it's really almost as simple as recognizing and acknowledging that you have judgment can help. And, and as you're going into these situations or when you're hearing something and you can recognize, like, I'm having trouble hearing this you're recognizing that you've got judgment. So great favorite story of mine. We were doing some in-homes talking with, it was around C stores, so convenience stores and food products in convenience stores, food service type things and looking for innovations. And the respondent was telling me about how his brother, this is an adult male, his brother would go to the C store, order the, buy the pizza, but then get a second pizza and eat that pizza on the way home. So it was like the pizza before the pizza situation. And, you know, that's not necessarily what everybody does. It's a choice. And some people do that. So, you know, I hear this, I was moderating and, and I hear this, I was like, Oh, okay. Tell me more about that and, and keep going. Unbeknownst to me though, the client sitting next to me is having all sorts of judgment coming up and he's now having trouble listening to what the guy is actually saying. So the interview concludes, we're in the car leaving. And he, you know, before we'd gone out on these sessions, we reminded them, we walked them through the, the five steps. And he said to me, he's like, wow, I had so much judgment when he was sitting there talking about his brother eating the pizza before the pizza. That was crazy to me. It's like, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And then I realized I was being judgmental. And so I just stepped back and he said, I dropped my judgment. 
And then I was able to listen and I was able to understand that, yeah, sometimes you're, you know, the point of that message was sometimes you're hungry like in that moment. You don't want to wait till you get home. So you need something else. So there could be an innovation opportunity to provide, you know, what, what's the, the quick grab and, and go immediate consumable that's going to satisfy in the way of a pizza, but not be you know, the full pizza and have to be to be that. So that's that's a great example of dismantling judgment. You know, another one recently we were working with a beverage company doing empathy work and they were interacting with their consumer and they had a very specific stereotype of their consumer in mind. And I'm, I'm being a little obtuse to protect confidentiality, but they had a perspective of who the, their consumer was. And we introduced them to their consumers and gave them an opportunity to engage and interact with them. And they came away from it going, oh my gosh, that was not who I thought this person was at all because they were applying their own stereotypes and their biases that just because you buy this particular brand or category of beverage, you are like this, you, know, you, you fit that mold. So yeah, the judgment is pervasive. Nine times out of 10, that's the one that everybody gets hung up on. That's the, the biggest sort of stumbling block. The second step is asking good questions. So, you know, you're asking me pretty open questions. You want me to talk about a specific you know, topic area. So you're guiding me somewhat, but you've left it kind of open. I could go wherever I wanted to with this. Those, that's an example of a good question. Good questions tend to be exploratory in nature. They're not necessarily closed, which means answer with one word, yes, no, maybe. It's it's very open. And what's so important for that, especially if you're in innovation, you don't know where people are going to take you. You don't know the story that's going to unfold. So you need to be open to that, to just hear the, th the things the person's going to tell you. And then like, okay, what are the threads? What are the themes that I'm seeing? And then go pull in it and explore there further. Mm -hmm. So asking good questions. And this has application, not just in interacting with your consumer uh, or your customer, but it has an application interacting with each other, you know, a manager or even colleagues, teammates, ask good questions, find out where they're coming from, what they're, they're thinking about so that you can better understand their perspective. It leads to empathy. You understand their perspective and then you can get to a solution that works for everybody. Good. A story around asking good questions and actually leads into active listening. I was on an, a project a few years ago and we were talking to people about soup and why they eat soup and what they, they do. And there was the respondent, the guy that we were going to meet, we, it was, they were in homes. So we get to the guy's house and we start chatting and he kept referencing a nephew of his, this guy was in his like mid late fifties and his adult nephew who's in his twenties had just passed away about a month ago and he kept referencing him. And I was like, okay, I need to unpack this a little bit. And so I just asked a few very open questions. Like, Tell me about your nephew. And we ended up spending about 45 minutes having a conversation about the nephew in order to, to understand what happened, the role that it played with him. And then I had some sort of magical pivot to go, okay, now let's talk about soup and how this is all like playing out, but these, these profound changes that are happening in your life. But the results of me opening up and asking very exploratory questions, I got at such a deeper understanding of who he was or is as a person 
and and the meaning of that loss and how that's impacted him, that it gave a layer of richness to all the questions about soup that you never would have gotten otherwise. So that's an example of asking good questions. It's also about actively listening. And so I'll talk about the third step, active listening. It's not just what you hear with your ears. It's what you're seeing. It's what you're sensing. It's all of your senses in play. And I would even say it's your sixth sense as well. It's your intuition. When I was on that, that in-home with that guy, you know, I, I, I felt as though the presence of the nephew was in the room. You know, it's not that we saw anything, but you just felt it there and that we needed to, to acknowledge it and honor it and unpack it and give it the time that it, it needed. And by the time we got through that, that feeling had left, like that energy wasn't there in the room anymore. That's an example of my intuition at work, but mm-hmm. that's active listening. You're also actively listening when you're noticing, you know, if you get the opportunity to go on an in-home with somebody, you know, what else are you seeing in the room that they're sitting in? How is their house decorated? What are the pictures that are up the books or magazines or the, what's the TV playing when you first get there? Like there's so much information that you can get that gives you that fuller picture and can help you build empathy. And you're also just looking even in a a one-on-one conversation, and you can do this even over a a video Zoom call. What's the the body language? How are you you reading? What are you picking up from them? What are the the nonverbal cues that are coming up? So that's, that's active listening. It's really paying attention and being present and in the moment with somebody else. Let me pick up on one aspect of the active listening, because you're, you're talking about the context of like going and, and doing a some kind of you know interview discussion analysis with a, a consumer in their house or you're set it up over a Zoom meeting. The When I've done those sort of things, my recommendation is always to have someone else with you to do the help you with the interview, because it's hard to pick up on all of those, all, all that yeah. feedback. Right. And I might be so in tune with what they're saying. And I, maybe I missed the sigh. Right. Or I, I missed them referencing, you know, maybe there's a, a book or a picture off to the side. And, and the other person with me might pick up on those things that I, I miss and help enrich the conversation. H- how do you construct the, that? Typically on an engagement like that, we do have we, we really encourage having clients come with us because we want them to make that connection and, and bond with them. So usually we're assigning roles to the other individuals. Typically they're note takers and we try to limit, you know, it's not like you're going to bring your entire department into somebody's living room, but you'll bring like maybe two people and have them looking for things and and making notes of stuff. And they they do. We also, a best practice is to debrief uh, for a few minutes after the conversation. So, you know, Hey, stay on the zoom call and we'll chat for a few minutes afterward and, talk about what we heard and saw, or on a, an in-home, in-person, when we were doing those, you'd go to another location and, and debrief over a cup of coffee or something or a meal. But that's where those stories come out, where they're like, oh, yeah, I noticed, or did you see the reaction when this happened? Or, you know, it's the, the husband's walking through the other room and the wife is reacting this way, and we noticed a shift when all that's happening. And, and as a moderator, a good moderator is going to be paying attention to that, but you're right. You, you're not going to catch a hundred percent of the, the data that's coming at you and that's available in that room. So having colleagues that are with you to pay attention and engage with that is, is really great. 
I, I like that you're you're brave to have clients come with you on that, right? And I, I'm a proponent of that too. And I like having the the company that needs to understand more about their customer involved with the actual customers. Like I, I've done that when I've done design thinking workshops, we bring in, it's like, okay, we're going to teach you how to do design thinking, but guess what? We're going to do it with your customers in the room so we can yeah. work with real people, right? Some people probably hear that too and go, not a chance do I want an untrained person in those sessions. <laughs> so, uh, yes, and, uh, and we've heard that. And there's some training that we do. You know, we always brief everybody. We walk them through, and this is well ahead. It's not just, you know, okay, we're in the driveway of the, the person's house. Let's go. But ahead of time, we answer their questions because it's, it's nerve-wracking for people. And not everybody is as outgoing and comfortable talking to strangers. So what you're asking people to do, go into somebody else's home or even just talk to another person, as to me, crazy as that sounds, like that's not a difficult thing. But, you know, yeah, people would rather, you know, it's that like speaking in public, people would rather be dead than do that. And that to me is just unfathomable. So, yeah, we always walk people through like what to expect. Mm-hmm. And just set up the expectations and like how to behave. And, you know, hey, don't wear your logoed, you know, corporate shirt that you got on the, the company retreat or whatever. Like, let's be logo free from corporate logos. You know, here's here's the ways to ask good questions. Here's the, you know, we, so we coach around some of the basic tips. Because I actually, I want the teams to have that experience and to actually truly engage. And I'm less worried about them even asking like the wrong question. I don't even know what a wrong question might be because to me, it's so important that you're just having the experience. You're having right. that energy exchange with somebody by just saying, Hey, tell me more about, you said this, what do you think? That does so much to open people up and to open their eyes, their hearts, to build empathy and that connection that it's, it's worth it. I I, I always tell, tell clients before we go in, it's like, well, number one, I failed mind reading. So if a question has popped into your head, please ask it because I don't know, but I'll be listening to your question and I'll pick up on it and I'll try to then explore a bit further. But what's important is that you're just getting it out there so that we know to explore it. And it's a great tool for helping to change the culture of that organization some too. You know, for, in product management, I really like having someone from the engineering team and ideally, frankly, someone that's really respected on the engineering team be part of those sessions because then they have a better understanding of why what they're building, you know, the, the reasons behind what they're building needs and what value it needs to deliver to the customer. Oh, absolutely. Every, anyone and everyone that's involved with a new product and product development should be having these experiences. You can't keep your engineers off in a dark room or you know, a sealed room right. doing their thing. They, they need to be there too, absolutely. Because it, it gives them insight into, I think it gives them insight into what they're building and why they're building it. But it also, there's like a sense of pride too. And like, mm-hmm. because of that connection, hey, I'm actually doing this. I, this is, I can think about that individual. This gets back into the conviction of belief I was talking about earlier. It's a sense of pride. Like I, I can imagine in my head now the real person and I hear their voice telling me this problem that they had. And now I'm solving that problem. And for a lot of people, like that just gets back to helping other people. And that's something that a lot of people really appreciate, enjoy and strive to do in their life. Yep. 
That sounds like we got through active listening pretty well. Next is integrating. Is it integrating into understanding? Integrate into understanding. Yes. Okay. So integrate into understanding. This is is this is where it starts to get a little tricky for people. You know, if you've been able to conquer your own judgment, your biases, your stereotypes, you've been able to pay attention, listen. Now it's the oh, okay. I've just heard from somebody who has a completely different belief system than I do, or maybe not even completely different, but different enough of a belief system that I do. And how do I reconcile that? And sometimes, you know, it can be it can be a difference of political persuasion or topical issues. You know, things come up in conversation. You may not have liked the way somebody was dressing. They seemed a little flamboyant and out there or whatever. You've got a lot of judgment. You're trying to get over that. And now it's like, okay, so I've got this person that I did think was a flamboyant dresser. And now I'm like, I got, got over that. I see them as a real person but I still have to reconcile their belief with mine. Like they don't like Disney, but I'm a huge Disney fan. So how do I step in? You know, how do, how do I like, you know, it, 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 it's, this is all hypothetical, but if I was such a Disney fan, like it would be very difficult for me to hear that somebody doesn't like Disney. And yet there are plenty of people out there, I'm sure that don't. And so how do you how do you make room for that? And it's not that I have to give up my, my love of Disney. It's that I have to make room that, hey, there, there are other ways of thinking. There's mm-hmm. other ways of doing things. And that's okay. A great, uh, a great example from about 10 years ago, as I called them, the Greek yogurt wars came about. It's when Chobani and Faye came onto the scene, just disrupted everything. A lot of hurt and pain with, you know, the, the, Titans, Yoplait, and Dannon. And I remember a marketing director at one of our clients saying, I don't understand why somebody would pay more than a dollar for a cup of yogurt, because yogurt's always 50 cents or 55 cents. And they just could not wrap their heads around like who that person is. And that was preventing them from having empathy, even though they had heard, and we were, I mean, this literally came during a presentation, like, hey, look, here's my PowerPoint slide. Here's the quote from the person. Maybe here's a little bit of audio. And they were still having trouble getting it. They weren't able to integrate it into their understanding. Ultimately, they were, but it was really a challenge for them in that moment and and at that time. And so you have to make room and go, hey, there are people that choose to spend more money on certain products that you might never do. There are people that choose to shop at Whole Foods. There are people that choose to shop at Walmart. And those are choices. And you just have to go, they exist. Now, let me try to understand who that person is in the way that they think. Because if I'm trying to create a product that is going to be go gangbusters, at I'll use Whole Foods as that example. I'm going to create a product that's going to go to Whole gangbusters at Whole Foods, I need to understand that mindset and what are they looking for out of a product? Because it's a whole different system of, of cues that a shopper is looking for out of a premium product or a healthier or organic product that they are looking for out of just a mainstream brand. And if you don't understand that, you're not your product's not going to work. I, Whole Foods won't even let you in the door. I really appreciate you sharing that example because on product teams, I don't know if, if, at least if I think about this very much in the past, but on product teams, I'm sure there are different perspectives about what is good for the customer, right? 
And even though we may have had these good experiences with the customer, we deeply understand their problem. We've come back with, now we've worked together to we'll probably get to this next about solution, but we've worked together to envision a solution for them. There's probably still some beliefs present on the product team members that are getting in the way a little bit of actually seeing that through. And I know some, I've come in instances in companies where like if we're doing something that feels like we might be cannibalizing the, you know, our, our bread and butter product, that causes huge problems. Right. But there might be more subtle ones there that are worth uncovering and spend some time discussing, you know, how we f feel about this, right? Yeah. And different, different ways in and, you know, and it does get into using solution imagination. So starting to imagine yourself as that person and it isn't, you know, I, th I think one one common misstep that product uh, marketers and, and innovators make is they only think about their customer in the moment of the purchase or the use, rather than the 360 of who they are as people. So if you're going to, you know, just to continue with the Whole Foods example, you need to understand like what is the role that Whole Foods is playing in their life and what are their beliefs and priorities that are even taking them to that place. So there's a whole lot more about this person that you need to understand. And then the other thing too is talking about grocery shopping. You know, it's it's now they call it omnichannel. Well, it's omnichannel in that you can buy it anywhere, but it, people are going across multiple retailers. It's not that like, oh, Walmart gets all of my spend or Whole Foods gets all of my spend. There are people that will go to Whole Foods for this. They'll go to Trader Joe's for that, Target or, or Walmart for something else. Yep. And they've got priorities on determining what they're going to, which retailer for what product. And you've got to understand all of that. Right. But you have to start with like, well, who, who is Chad? Who is Chad as a person and what's sort of sitting there with him so that I can then get into your mindset and start to have perspective from your point of view? Yeah. A tool like the customer journey map, I think, would be one that we probably both use for that, right? To understand what what is the customer's doing before? And that before might be a long time in advance. If you look at mattress buys, it's behavior a year in advance, at least, right? Right, right. And then what are they doing as they're making that decision, buying it? And then what are they doing after? And understanding that journey is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And empathy Empathy plays a role in so many different parts, whether it's innovation or a shopper journey, and even then clearly or critically an understanding of brand champion. Yeah. Okay. So those five steps are really helpful. Be before those five steps, the, you know, my, as we talked a little bit about the foundation, what is empathy? I do often jump to that end one that, we, that you shared was, which is, you know, walking in the other person's shoes, right? It's seeing the world through their eyes in effect, right? And having these five steps, hopefully, everybody innovators, you found really good value in that because now you're better prepared to understand customers' problems, to employ empathy. And if, if that word is an E word that gets in our way, it's really just understanding the customers' problems better so we can do a, a more credible job delivering value for them and be more successful. Okay, Rob, really good. Awesome. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes. I asked you to bring one for us. Can you share that and tell us what it means to you? I'd be happy to. I actually, I brought two, which I'm going to share. So the first one, and I, I talk about this all the time when it relates to empathy and, and its role in, in business in general, but I think it's particularly relevant to innovation. And it comes from Henry Ford. It's over 100 years old. 
But he said, if there's any one secret of success, it lies in the ability to get the other person's point of view and see things from that person's angle as well as from your own. Why this is so meaningful to me and, and, and why I use it so often, it struck me like, okay, this is 100 years old, but Henry Ford is you know, recognized as a leader in business, transformed a lot of manufacturing, and he knew way back then the importance of empathy. So if he knew that and openly talked about it, there's got to be something to it. So I always share that. I actually, if I'm in a group setting, I actually have people read it along and we do it a couple of times so that it, it resonates with people because it's true. It, it is one of the secrets of success. You have to have empathy. And especially in today's, the changing landscape of corporate America, where it is moving to more EQ leadership and an EQ focus. If you don't have empathy, you're not going to be playing. So you got to have it. And that stands out a little, I, I'm not familiar with this quote, and I know a lot of quotes, The uh, coming from Henry Ford, right, as the person who automated the assembly line, right, took the, the assembly line many generations ahead, and probably practiced, you know, some Taylorism type approaches to management, where we have special specialized people doing special skills, kind of, in a sense, taking a lot of the empathy out of it, him recognizing that that is so important is really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The fact that he he understood that. But then some, yeah, you could question like, well, the decisions that he was making, how empathetic were they to his workers? But yeah, overall, he, he got it. He got it. That's good. The second, second quote, if I can share that, is actually from Jonas Salk. Intuition will tell the thinking mind where to look next. So when we were talking about intuition and using your gut early on in our conversation, and I think intuition is something that is almost less, well, not almost, it is less understood than empathy at this point, you know, and we are one of the only uh, species that will ignore our intuition. And this, you know, kind of gets into even the idea of judgment, like don't go down that dark alley. People ignore the hairs standing up on the back of their, their necks where other animals won't. But intuition, if you trust your gut, if you can find where your intuition speaks and how it speaks, I, I, the research that I've done on it and the conversations I've had around it, intuition manifests itself in slightly different ways for people. It's not some people literally feel it in their gut. Other people, I tend to hear it more in like my heart. Other people, it's kind of sitting outside of their head as a voice. But once you kind of tap in like and understand, okay, what's my intuition? What's my gut telling me? As Jonas Salk said, it's going to lead you towards what to take next. I, d I don't believe that your intuition steers you wrong. And I think that's something that comes through experience and that we should pay more attention to, right? So actually expect this thing exists and develop it and make use of it. Yeah. Excellent. Rob, thank you for all the information. How can listeners find out more about the work that you do and other resources you may have available? Yeah, absolutely. So first stop would be our website, ignite-360.com. Go to our blog, which is under the Sparks heading. A lot of different thought pieces around empathy and other examples of empathy in action. Would also encourage people to find me on LinkedIn. I uh, love to connect with people and have conversations there. You know, Rob Volpe, type in empathy activist, and you'll you'll find me. And also, I have a book that will be coming out next fall called Everyday Americans. And it is my journey, these five steps to understanding empathy and how those came to be told with the stories of some of these awesome people that I, I've met in my journeys. 
That's excellent. That's a book that we should probably sync back up on so we can talk more about that next year when it comes out. I would love to. Rob, thank you so much for the information. Everyday Innovators, I hope you found value in this. Any kind of customer interactions and how we can improve the value of those interactions that we have is is valuable to us. So uh, I think we got some good insights here. Thanks, Rob. Awesome. Thank you, Chad. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so that you can indeed create those products that customers love. You'll find all those incredible steps that Rob took us through at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 312, including a one-page PDF to help you put those steps into action now and make use of them. Go check it out, theeverydayinnovator.com slash 312. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.